Welcome, everyone, and thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable. My name is Gary Cacciolillo. Today, we have Martin Willis, host of Podcast UFO. Martin, thank you for coming on the show today. Oh, you're very welcome. It's, it's my pleasure. Um, like I said, as mentioned earlier, your podcast is the first podcast I ever listened to. Um, I was working that, at, yeah, I, was, wow. I was, had a job yeah. uh, cleaning offices at night, and now I listen to your podcast, kind of just keep me distracted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would do that. <laughs> well, that's great. Yeah, it's awesome. So yeah. it's great to have you here. Um, Thank you. So is there anything um, going on in the UFO world? Well, um, you know, I was hoping to be able to share something really interesting tonight, but I can, the only thing I can do, unfortunately, is give a teaser and just say that uh, when information comes along, I don't know if you ever have any notes or anything you can add to your shows, but Mm -hmm. I I can forward it to you. Uh, Someone that I know uh, in the UFO world that is uh, very legitimate, very good, very careful, uh, says he has something uh, breaking uh, news to come out. And this has to do with crash, believe it or not, UFO crash retrieval uh, evidence. And uh, he's saying it's 100% legitimate. He's checked his sources. And uh, so it's going to be breaking fairly soon, according to him. And um, as uh, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a friend of his, but uh, someone that really cares about um, when someone's trying to have a really good reputation and do solid work, you know, I kind of cautioned him to be just, you know, be very careful, make sure there's no um, disinformation that he could be led down the wrong path. And then he threw a couple of names out uh, that, you know, if it's, uh, if they're saying this is legitimate, then, um, you know, it could be some pretty big, big breaking news. Well, I can't find that. Wait to find out what that is. Yeah, um, and you know what? What type of evidence they really have? I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. Um, but uh, and one of the people, well, um, it, it could hit the newspapers too. I'll just put it that way. If it does, if this comes out and it's true, uh, we'll all know about it. I probably don't even have to tell you what it is. Oh, I can't wait! I'm really excited <laughs> to hear that. Um, right. So what got you interested in the UFO field? Uh, well, uh, it's, well, I, I kind of had an interest as, as a young kid because in the um, way back when in Southern Maine where I grew up uh, and I was right on the border of New Hampshire. Matter of fact, we had a house, it was called uh, Winter Hill. It was a house on top of a hill that overlooked the river and across the river was Pease Air Force Base and uh, there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of like things happening in the area, and um, I don't say that there was actually UFO sightings right at Pease, but uh, since we had a great bird's eye view of you know we couldn't quite see the runway, but we could see planes uh, you know landing and taking off, and mm-hmm. uh, we saw weird weather balloons. You know, I used to sit in the front yard and watch and think that someday I'd see a UFO, and then. I kind of got bored with it after a while and uh, the flap that was happening kind of stopped. There was some hoaxers that were trying to do some things. And, and uh, so it, I just kind of turned away from it. Never really paid that much attention to it. I I didn't have a closed mind about it, 
But uh, back in um, 2006, I was doing uh, uh, work in uh, uh, Carmel Valley, California. And um, the my next door neighbor where I lived in California had a ranch there. And I just happened to be working um, on a big estate down there. And they said, hey, uh, here's the keys to our guest house. You know, help yourself. Just uh, uh, go ahead and, you know, use the guest house while you're doing this appraisal. And um, I thought that was very nice of them. And they said, oh, by the way, there's a hot tub on the uh, deck around the front of our, our main house. And, you know, all you have to do is flip the cover and go in it. It's fine. It's running all the time. So um, I'm there at night. And I worked really hard and uh, I wasn't drinking. <laughs> uh, I got in the uh, got in the hot tub and it was dusk. And uh, so, you know, you could see, uh, you know, some of the, the light in the sky still. And so I was just relaxing. And uh, about, I would say about 15 minutes after I got into the hot tub, I and I like to look up, you know, not all the time, but, you know, when it's really dark, I like to see the satellites and stuff like that, meteorites. And um, something caught my eye from like behind me in peripheral vision. And uh, I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And basically what it was, a, a perfectly shaped round disc. And it had like a blue glow, um, you know, like I can't really explain it. it sort of like glowed like a light blue. Uh, like a cold blue, and it just was right over the top of me. And I guess, you know, maybe a thousand feet, but I couldn't even tell. It was like the size of uh, between a dime and a quarter if you hold it out, you know, above your head, uh, your arm outstretched. Um, so I really had no idea. But the one thing that caught me right away, um, at the time there were no like bubbles or anything like that, the, it, it was quiet. And I heard absolutely no noise at all. And that that freaked me out more than anything. I don't know why exactly. So it moved and it stopped and it just stayed stationary, not directly over me, but forward of me a bit. And then all of a sudden it just started going kind of faster on a direct angle toward uh, Carmel. Um, I'm sorry, toward Monterey. And so I jump out of the hot tub <laughs> I didn't know what to do, you know, but <laughs> yeah, right. I, I was just like, oh, my God. Uh, I ran in to the guest house. There was a phone on the wall. And I called, uh, first of all, I called uh, to try to get information how to call um, the police office, not not emergency. So I got a hold of the police station in uh, Monterey. And I said to the dispatcher, I said, "Is can I? I don't know how to report this, but I just saw a, a UFO." And she, uh, "What? You know, like repeat what you said." <laughs> and uh, so I kind of explained it to her, and she put me on hold for 15 minutes. Uh, she was really sarcastic, by the way. I should say that. Um, and uh, she put me on hold for about 15 minutes, and finally, I just hung up. And not once did it cross my mind that I could report this online. This was in 2006. The internet was around, that's for sure. I never thought of reporting it online. I didn't know who to report it to. Never never crossed my mind of how you would report something like that. Hmm. Um, so uh, the following week, I went. I worked at an, an auction gallery out, out that way in uh, Northern California. And 
So when I went to work, I had a, a what I thought was a pretty good friend. <laughs> and uh, uh, I said to her, hey, look, I got to tell you something, but you can't say anything to anyone. And because I was, you know, I was nervous uh, about talking about it. So I told her and I said, I just can't believe it. it was just, it was a flying saucer. It was just perfect. It looked like a saucer. And uh, so it wasn't maybe, I don't know, an hour later where all of a sudden everyone started teasing me and she said, Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so I really didn't, you know, it kind of went away. They didn't talk about it. And I, I just kind of put it away. And uh, in 2011, I was, uh, I was on a, I was doing actually some comedy work. And uh, I was on a podcast in uh, Southern California, and the guy basically asked me, um, what's the weirdest thing that ever happened to you? And I told him about the UFO event. And he was, you know, cracking wise, saying things like, uh, oh, you got probed, didn't you? And, you know, all this stuff. So uh, anyway, he called me up. Um, I'm sorry, he emailed me like a week later and said he was doing analytics in the because he had his uh, his show transcribed. And he said the key word that was pulling up the most in the whole interview was UFO. <laughs> and so I was doing a podcast uh, on comedy. I was also doing one on fine art and antiques. And so I reached out to Stan Friedman. I reached out to a number of people. Um, nobody returned, um, you know, any messages or anything. And then finally I sent one to Stephen Bassett. Um, you know, the disclosure, Stephen Bassett, mm -hmm. and uh, he responded, sure, I'll be on your show. And so I had my very first show back in 2011. And now I have uh, 407 shows <laughs> since that time. So it's been, uh, it's been a great experience. I've really, I'm really glad I went that way. It is an interesting topic. And there's so many theories about what UFOs are. That's right. And I think like a lot of people, like you say, the, the, they hear the word UFO and they automatically, you know, think of the guys with the tinfoil hats making stuff up or whatever. Yeah. But it, it really is an unexplained phenomenon. And that, that's the mystery behind it is that it can't be explained. At the same time, we cannot deny the existence of them. That's exactly right. Um, you know, I've said a number of times, the more I, you know, do this show, all those 400 shows, and a lot of my shows are two hours, uh, you know, the less I know about this topic. It's, uh, it's just, there's no, I don't think there's any way to get an answer. And matter of fact, um, I think when you hear someone say they have the answer, you most likely want to run away. <laughs> because uh, I don't think there's, at this point, um, I don't even believe that, um, you know, some people think the government may know. I, I believe that they may not even know what it is, but I do think that they know something's going on. It's pretty obvious. Yeah, I, th I think so, too. I think maybe they have maybe scratched the surface of the topic, but haven't actually yeah. gotten, you know, found out everything there is to know. And, um, and also, right. like, whenever they... Whenever anybody tells me they know everything about something, I discard them right away. Yeah. Because nobody can. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, you may have a specialist knowing something about something in that type of way. But when someone 
says they know something about an unknown. Yeah, uh, that's it's just not, uh, you know, there's many things we can't explain, not just UFOs, but there's many things. Absolutely. Uh, what is your favorite UFO case and why? Oh, uh, there's a lot of ones that are right near the top. But I have to say that the one that I consider my very favorite um, is the uh, the Ariel School incident in uh, the Republic of Zimbabwe in southern Africa. Um, that, that happened back in, um, I think it was September 16th, uh, 1994. Um, and what makes this case so spectacular, there's many things that do. Um, and I've, inter- I've been lucky enough to interview uh, three of the you know, firsthand witnesses um, all, all separately uh, over the, the last several years. Um, but what makes this so interesting is, first of all, they're in this very remote area. Um, the UFO topic is not on anyone's mind there. Um, they didn't even know anything about that to begin with. It, like I said, it's a very rem- remote area. Right. This uh, craft basically uh, lands. Some some of the children thought they saw it not quite touch the ground. Um, and then the beings get out. Now, there's some people that thought they saw four beings. Some people thought they saw three. Uh, a couple of people thought they saw two. There were 62 uh, children that uh, were interviewed, that did see that, uh, see this incident and were interviewed later. I can talk about their interview, uh, which was fascinating. Um, but um, what happened was this, this sort of like this white uh, disc landed, and uh, they before it landed, they heard some children said they heard what sounded like a flute, like a, some type of sound that sounded like a flute before it landed. So it landed and these beings are out and one has long hair. And um, one of the people that I interviewed, uh, she's very solid. Her name is Selma Siddick. Um, She said she was no further than four feet away from this being. Um, They basically are all saying the same thing. It looked like it had porcelain skin uh, like a white, and it looked like porcelain and almost like shimmering, uh, black, uh, large black oval eyes. Um, and um, Selma, one of the things she said, she was concerned about her siblings at the school. And she was standing, like I said, four feet away, and she had locked eyes with this creature. And she um, said the hardest thing she's ever done in her life was turn away from that that her eyes locked from that stare. That was, she said it was the most difficult thing I ever did was to pull away from that. Now other children, there's several other children that had, uh, I know this sounds pretty wild perhaps Uh to some people who have not uh, looked into this topic, but some of the children, uh, I don't know exactly how many, uh, I spoke with Randall Nickerson. He's a filmmaker um, that is making a, a uh, film called The Aerial Phenomenon. And uh, that is uh, the documented footage from 1994 and as well as updated footage from all these children all over the world 
um, and how it's affected their lives, you know. So anyway, about 12 children all had this telepathic message, and it was all, all regarding this planet and caring for this planet, like we need to take care of this planet, and which is really, uh, you know, mind-boggling. So, right, you know, what happened was these, these children were out, and it wasn't just 62. There were a lot of, uh, like, um, kindergarten kids out there, too, but they wouldn't, they were too young to be interviewed. But uh, there are interviews now with them uh, later on in life. But um, they said that, you know, the teachers were having a conference in, in a room, and they burst in and started screaming, you know, this is going on. They all ran away at once, you know, from these beings. And, oh, yes, I meant to tell you, one, one of the things that was very interesting about one of the beings, and this was uh, with an interview that I had uh, recently with uh, Francis uh, Cheramuda. He's one of the witnesses. And he said one of the beings w- was heading toward their pool, which was about 30 meters away, and it looked like it was blinking in and out. Like it would move almost like it was the speed of running, but it was it was there at one spot, and all of a sudden it showed up in another spot further along and further along, which is really bizarre. Never saw its feet actually touch the ground. Sounds maybe like a, a hologram. Yeah, yeah, it does, yeah. Um, so anyway, so these kids, uh, a BBC reporter uh, reluctantly did not want to go there to interview the kids, but he said that uh, – you know, he felt like he was being dragged there, like he, he had to go. And he thought it was a bunch of, you know, bull and all that until he started interviewing these kids. And then he became completely convinced that this really did happen. And so there was a Harvard professor um, that was also a child psychologist, and he was looking into the abductee, uh, you know, the uh, – abductee phenomenon um, at that time, um, and he decided to make the trip there. So he was there two weeks after, and what a a great way to interview children than by a child psychologist, psychiatrist, especially, you know, Harvard-trained and Harvard professor. Um, He, if you watch him in these interviews, these kids are completely comfortable because he knows how to talk to them. He's down low at their level, and he's asking them very basic questions, mostly about feelings, and he he gets so much information out of them. And, uh, you know, one of the little girls, she says, uh, you know, I want to see them again because I have questions for them. And he Hmm. says, you know, what would you ask them? And and, uh, she says, I want to ask them why are they here and what do they want with us? And uh, anyway, it's kind of bone chilling and it's a great, great incident. And there's no way that those 60 kids could have made this up in the environment they were in. They all did drawings immediately. That was a a fantastic idea that one of the teachers had is to do the drawings. Now, there was uh, something that uh, Randall Nickerson did not want to tell me. I had him on the show recently. And that is um, that a school teacher actually did witness the uh, object in beings. She went out 
she, out of curiosity, her and another teacher went out to look to see what the kids were, you know, screaming about. And she actually saw, saw them. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she's in Randall's film that's coming out. Should be out hopefully this year, but maybe next year. Sounds cool. Um, were all three beings or four beings the same in appearance? Or was well, it possible that there were different species of them working together? No, they all looked similar in appearance. Now, there's one that had long black hair, and it was strange hair, too. Uh, and one that was bald. They, you know, they're all, all the kids you know, basically said the same thing. They were wearing like a black uh, leotard, like a you know, one-piece, mm-hmm. uh, tight-fitting uh, leotard type of thing. And, uh, but they all, you know, they all look similar with the similar eyes, but, uh, um, but anyway, that was, that, I think that is one of the most, uh, solid cases and kind of one that would rock, rock the world, you know, if it could be proven true. I have to agree, especially when it's coming from children, because they're sort of like untainted by the media and some exactly. of the stigma. And also, there's more to that, if you really think about it. So there's about 120 schoolyard incidences that have been recorded over the years. Um, and, you know, I I mentioned this to one of the witnesses. Why do you think children, do you think it's because they're, you know, they're uh, acceptable to, you know, they'll, they'll um, what am I trying to say? You can actually talk to children and that they're pure and you can influence them, especially when you're talking about the planet. And that's not the only case where uh, people have felt they have gotten telepathic communication about the planet, which is also pretty interesting. It is interesting. Um, So on a more recent one, like when I was actually started listening to your podcast, when it, it's actually the first place I heard about this Nemitz case, about the, um, you know, the, the footage of the Tic Tac UFO. And I was wondering yeah. if you could share some details on that. Oh, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's in the top. Um, you know, when, when you asked me, um, you know, what, what are the, some of the big, big cases, uh, that's in the top five. There's, uh, I might as well just say, you know, the ones I'm thinking of, the Ariel School incident, the, the Nimitz case, Rendlesham Forest, mm-hmm. um, the uh, Phoenix Lights, and, uh, well, I have to say Roswell, just because of everything that's gone on with the Roswell story. I know it's the uh, 1947, the old one, but uh, uh, that's pretty solid. And there's there's still a lot lot more cases that are um, that are you know, have, have a lot to them, but uh, getting back to the Nimitz, that was, it happened in the fall of 2004. Um, the, uh, the, I, I think they call them the strike group. They were the Navy strike group. They were out, um, and they were exercising off of the coast of, um, San Diego. And, uh, I've had Kevin day. I know Kevin day. He was, uh, um, on the show a number of times, but I've also hung out with him and he's a real good guy. He lives out in California and he was in charge of, uh, the radar on the Princeton and the Nimitz was a aircraft carrier. And that's why it's called the Nimitz case. That's like the main 
ship in this whole, you know, uh, war exercises they were doing. So um, he, for several days, he was seeing these objects. Now, they were pretty far away. Um, they, this is th with very advanced radar, uh, state-of-the-art. Um, they also had what's called the Hawkeye, and that's a, a plane that would, uh, with a great big huge radar dish that would go um, above any of the exercises and actually in wartime as well, um, just like the eagle eye over the whole operation. So they were getting um, these um, uh, these radar um, reports of of these objects doing just kind of like floating along. And at one time, uh, Kevin says, the sky was raining UFOs. But they would be floating along at 28,000 feet at about 100 knots, which there's no airplane known that can do that because it has to have lift, and there's no way at 100 knots it's going to have enough lift, especially up at 28,000 feet where the air is really thin. Mm -hmm. It just wouldn't work. So um, that was very peculiar to him. But when he saw the objects um, at 28,000 feet drop down to 50 feet above the, above the surface of the water in 0.78 seconds, he had to report this uh, to, the, to you know, the upper level there um, on the Princeton. So he did. He's saying there's something really peculiar going on, uh, not making sense. And by the way, uh, the G-force for, um, for that move of, you know, 0.78 seconds uh, dropping basically 28,000 feet in less than a second is just, there's no, nothing that we can build that man can build that wouldn't fall apart with that type of uh, G-force. I think it's something like 15, I don't, I, I can't even, I did hear the number, hmm. but I, the G-force is just out of control. Would that like crush a person probably? Oh, it would make jello out of anything. Not only that, even machinery. It, it's just, it's just some, no machinery could take it. But a person would just, you know, vaporize at that G-force. Um, so uh, they decided, he finally got the okay uh, to, on the uh, Nimitz to send out um, the F-18 Hornets out to take a look. Now, the one you hear um, a lot of the name tossed around is David Fravor. He was actually the second um, uh, group that went out. Um, the first group, um, there is a um, pilot that's only talked about it, uh, the whole incident, I think one or two interviews. Uh, and he actually started working with Bob Bigelow, which is pretty strange. Um, that's a whole nother story. Um, Skinwalker ranch guy. That's right. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Fravor goes out and he's with, um, I forget how many, uh, wingmen he has. I think it's like, uh, he's in a group of three, I, I believe. And they go out and he, all of a sudden he sees, uh, he goes out to about the area where, this thing is being reported. He doesn't see anything right away, but he sees a disturbance in the water and it looks like a, uh, oblong, uh, he can't really judge the size of it, but it looks like bubbles coming up. He doesn't understand it. So then he kind of goes down 
toward it to see what it is. And just above it is this thing shaped like a tic-tac. Tic -tac. And it looks like a tic-tac. It's white. And you notice right away there's no wings. There's no source of propulsion or anything like that. And this thing starts jutting around um, very erratically. And it's it doesn't stay in one place. And it's almost like I talked about earlier about that person running toward the pool. It kind of blinks out and blinks back uh, in another location. And so he's watching it. And then he tries to he tries to get a good uh, view of it. So he circles around, and when it does, the thing mirrors him. And uh, so he dives down to try to come up on it. And when it does, it shoots past him. And then all of a sudden, it shoots off um, um, right to the horizon in an instant. Uh, doesn't even know how fast it's going, like a bullet. And that was his encounter. And the, I do believe it's the one that went out earlier that actually got the footage that I know you want to talk about a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. So um, he, I don't believe that uh, David Fravor actually got the footage, but David Fravor has been the one who has talked about it quite a bit. And he's been on, you know, I can't remember how many news stations, but a lot. Yes. The, the, the so, footage is the, of the, the um, was it on a thermal, the Tic Tac shaped UFO? Yeah, it's an infrared. Um, it's called a FLIR, um, F-L-I-R. Um, it's some type of infrared um, imaging that they do. Um, and so, you know, there's more to the case. I've had uh, PJ Hughes on uh, the show, and he was in charge of the data. It's called the data bricks from the um, – from the Hawkeye the overhead that, you know, was actually recording all this, what was going on. So he gets back. I mean, the, 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 the plane gets back, David Fravor gets back and they, uh, they go to the Hawkeye and they unload the data bricks and they put them in the safe. And just as they're walking away from the safe, um, the commander with some guy in some look like an air force jumpsuit, no one that he's ever seen before. Uh, the commander says, uh, get the bricks. We got to give them to this gentleman here. And so he says, well, we got to sign them out. He says, do nothing of this. You know, everything had to be documented and signed out and everything. He says, nope, no, you're doing none of the such. And they just gave him the bricks and the Air Force guy took off. <laughs> so there's a, there was a lot going on there. Yeah. Um, so how much of a role did the uh, To The Stars Academy play in breaking, breaking this case and getting it out to the public? Well, you know, I got to say, um, well, first of all, I want to say there's, there's in the UFO field, there's kind of a lot of jealousy and there's a lot of uh, conspiracy about To The Stars Academy and Tom DeLonge and, you know, the work that he's trying to do. But I got to tell you, everyone associates uh, everything coming out on December uh, 17th. December 16th, mm -hmm. um, 2017, when the New York Times published the story about the Pentagon looking into UFOs. But it was really to the Stars Academy that really launched the ball on this whole thing. Um, because in October, um, basically all that information was, I watched the live stream. Uh, Tom DeLong had all these people from to the Stars Academy. Uh, they stood up, uh, 
uh, Tim Mellon from the DOD. He's actually been on my show as one of two people who interviewed him for way before he ever went on to, to the Stars Academy. Um, so he talked, and then there was Lou Elizondo, and uh, he was part of the Pentagon program. So they all basically talked. You saw everything that the New York Times was going to release in December. And the UFO community, you know, said, wow, you know, that's really something and all that. But it kind of like died down and you didn't hear a thing, anything mm -hmm. about it. And then all of a sudden, bam, you know, the New York Times article comes out and the whole world notices. Uh, that was the right vehicle because they're, they're very conservative. I spoke with Leslie Kane, one of the authors of that article, and she said, you know, it took months and months of vetting. They were just so careful before they come out with that type of story. And it was on the front page of the New York Times. It doesn't get better than that. No. Um, so I say that uh, To the Stars Academy had quite a bit to do with it. Yeah, I think so too. Um, why did you think the Pentagon released a statement about the video now with the virus and everything going on rather mm -hmm. than doing it? two years ago. I don't know why they took so long. As a matter of fact, you know, it's, it's kind of, there's a lot of controversy and conspiracy in that whole situation because at one time a spokesperson at, uh, of, at the Pentagon said that uh, Lou Elizondo had nothing to do with anything. And, and, and by the way, that's not the first time that, you know, the Pentagon has denied things. Um, <laughs> so, um, so there was controversy in that whole type of situation and, uh, why, you know, they, the, there's documents out there saying, you know, that the films weren't actually released for the public. I don't, I, there's all kinds of controversy and why all of a sudden they're saying, um, yes, these are unidentified, um, objects in these films and we are releasing them to the public. Um, and, it didn't make, I don't think it made a huge uh, difference or a huge story like the December 16th, um, 2017 New York Times article did because we kind of, I think the world kind of accepted, wow, you know, there really is something to this. Um, you know, the Pentagon did really look into the UFO topic. And uh, so we kind of like, we're okay with that. Move on. Let's move on. So when the Pentagon finally said, yes, these are indeed um, UFOs and we, we are releasing them to the public, these films, then I think it was kind of like anticlimactic. It didn't really make a, you know, we already accepted it. I think that's why it didn't make such uh, a big news story. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I'm surprised they kind of did it though. Um, you know, for them yeah. to actually own up to something. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's strange. <laughs> well, you know, if, if, if the, if the government doesn't know what these things are, this is where it gets, it gets sticky and tricky because if the government just out and says, we have no idea what these things are in our skies, but they're actually here, whatever they are. Um, that's not going to make you feel really safe. You know, uh, I think if, you know, the Air Force can't protect the skies from these things, then, um, you know, I think a lot of people are going to feel vulnerable. Hmm. 
Yeah. One of the things that I've noticed, or this is just sort of my opinion, I don't know if you've ever talked to him, but I think Luis Alessandro knows more than what he reveals. Yes, um, I did. I did get to meet him in um, in Cherry Hill, uh, New Jersey, and it's funny. Um, I'm I'm uh, uh, like a fine arts and antiques appraiser by trade, and so he and I sat in the uh, in a hallway at this convention center and we talked for 45 minutes and we never mentioned the word UFO. (laughs) (laughs) We talked about everything else. Um, but I did listen to him talk. Um, I think, um, he, he'll be the first to tell you that he knows things that he can't talk about. He will be the first to tell you that. And, um, and he he will apologize. I did interview him on my show. Um, I had the show where, Everything that could possibly go wrong went wrong, and it was with Lou Elizondo. Oh, no. My whole studio did not work. Um, I could barely hear him, and you know, it was just a terrible uh, situation, and I couldn't, you know, I didn't have any other time. Uh, <laughs> that was the only time I had with him. For now. <laughs> yeah, but I, I got through it. But it's still, you know, he he will be he will tell you that he does know things that he just can't talk about because it's classified. Hmm. So, um, just a couple of weeks ago, I was listening to your episode with Chris Stiles about the Sag Harbor incident, and it sounds a bit similar to me when I was listening to it to the Nemitz UFO because it's above, you know, it's up in the air and then it's, it's submersible. Yeah, the USO. Uh, yeah. A UFO that goes underwater. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, there are people in this. There's actually someone I really respect in the UFO field that thinks, you know, they may be, you know, since the earth is 70% water or whatever it is, pretty high, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, they, they may be, that's a perfect place for them to hide. And if you can go through space, you can go through water. <laughs> and, it makes uh, sense. He, and he himself, he, he was on a submarine when they had uh, what they called a fast walker or whatever it was, it was going 200 knots under the water, which is, you know, just try to picture that something going (laughs) 200 miles an hour, over 200 miles an hour underwater Mm -hmm. um, on radar. So, um, you know, I, I don't know. I I know there are some similarities, but that, uh, that one at Shag Harbor happened back in 62 two or 66 i can't remember and uh that's up in nova scotia and a lot of people saw that there were many witnesses and there's witnesses that have come forward that actually saw it hit the water um it went in the water it floated on well actually floated on top of the water for quite a while people saw that then it left a yellow foam which is another strange thing but everyone was thinking it was a crash plane that's their first thoughts they never never thought about a ufo but yeah, that's a really interesting case, um, and it's the only case. The actual the Canadian Navy, whatever they are, um, I'm not sure exactly if they're called the Navy, but they actually said that you know it was an unidentified object. They never uh, could figure it out, which is uh, which is great to get that documented. Yeah, I think there's definitely a connection. I actually have a friend who works at Alltech, and. I guess it was about six months ago. He sent me a video of like a little blue UFO 
just hmm. floating above the water and then it disappears. Huh. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and he knew all the rumors about Alltech, you know, like, hmm. he, like he's not, he doesn't have like any type of security clearance or anything. He's just there as a contractor, huh. but, but he was close enough to, to film that video. Wow. So it was pretty interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. I haven't been able to talk to him lately. He's sort of, Every once in a while, it kind of just goes dark, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds mysterious. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, one of the other things that is sometimes it makes me think of is um, instead of it actually being, say, something from outer space, there's a, old, a theory that I had read about, like an aquatic ape theory, where evolution, we, we evolved above land, and maybe a different species evolved underneath the ocean that became more advanced than we are. Hmm. I've heard similar, but I've never really looked into that. I mean, that is, uh, you know, since we actually began in the ocean, I could almost see where that is going. You know, it all has to do a lot of times with uh, of the size of the brain growing through uh, nutrition and uh, through oxygen, um, you know, so that is interesting. You look at dolphins, you look at octopuses um, or octopi, I guess you call them. <laughs> but, um, you know, they're highly intelligent. Um, and, you know, we just don't know. Uh, we can't really understand their intelligence, but they are very intelligent. And, uh, yeah, um, I have never really looked into that. But, you know, as I mentioned earlier, the ocean it, it takes up so much of the planet, uh, and it's so unexplored. They say we know more about the surface of the moon than the ocean. So who knows? I mean, I have to be open-minded to these type of theories, and you know, because we still don't know what the heck's going on. No, definitely not. Um, one of my favorite cases is the Phoenix Lights, and there's always this debate whether it was a secret military project or UFO um, made from reversed engineered alien technology. Like I like that case because it's one of those cases where so many people seen the lights and it's also different videos of it. Yeah. Um, if I had to guess, I wouldn't think that that was a military uh, project. And for a number of reasons, first of all, um, this happened um, night, 1997, March 13th, I believe it was. Um, that's quite a while ago to have something extraordinary like that under wraps where we'd never see it um, in any type of wartime or anything like that. And not only that, um, uh, Peter Davenport from New Fork, the National UFO Reporting Center, he was getting calls immediately about uh, what people were seeing. Um, many, many calls. And he he was having people tell them tell him on the phone you know one guy said to him look i i'm looking at this thing from wing tip to wing tip it's triangular and um and he goes i know the distance between these two mountains and he says it's about 8 miles this thing is about 8 miles wide <laughs> um and a lot of people said it was huge but uh when you hear eight miles, um, you know, that's the only time uh, when it was being reported that people talked about that type of size. Wow. But people did state 
the massive size of this. And there was a lot going on that day. And there was also a, a there was also a um, a flare drop. And I truly believe that the flare drop was all about um, trying to um, create a story for this mm -hmm. because so many people were seeing it. The phones were ringing off the hook. Um, the thousands of people, they were out uh, looking at this uh, comet, um, 2000, I mean, 1997, was that Hale-Bopp? I can't remember the comet that they were looking at. Maybe it was Halley's. I can't really remember. I don't remember but, either. <laughs> yeah. But so there were, there were many, many people out, were outside, and, they, you know, they see it block out the stars um, floating over them. Again, no noise. Um, one of the most chilling things about that was the uh, military pilot that went up uh, to look at this thing and was so shaken that he couldn't even, I guess he had some type of nervous breakdown. Um, so, and then there was the governor Fife Symington who was in the uh, park uh, and actually saw this thing fly over firsthand. And he tried to do something that totally backfired on him. And that's, he, he tried to calm the whole city down because it was, uh, people wanted answers and they didn't have any answers to what this thing was. So he had a press conference and when he did, he had someone come out in an alien suit. He said, we found the culprit. It's right here trying to get everyone to relax. I remember that. Yeah. People got very angry, <laughs> especially the people that saw, you know, this thing. Uh, they thought, you know, they were just being belittled. Yeah. Um, so he he had, did apologize publicly for that, for doing that, um, because he said, uh, you know, he actually saw it himself. Um, you know, as the years went by, he was willing to talk about it. But yeah, that is, uh, that's a fantastic case. Like I said, it's in my top five. Yeah, definitely. And it had like a, if I'm correct, it had like a, um, an extensive flight path of reporting. Yes. Like, like it had traveled you know, a very long distance where people saw it and That's the timeline right. matches up perfectly. Yeah. Yep. It was in, um, it was in New Mexico. I want to say, did it go to Texas? I can't remember exactly, but it was, uh, people had been reporting it. You're right for a long time. And then, uh, unfortunately there was only, I believe one real film of it and all the other films, uh, when people actually decided to start filming uh, were the flare drops. Mm -hmm. So, um, and uh, there's Dr. Lynn Katai. Uh, she was on my show too. Um, there's debate that, you know, her filming, uh, she's actually got involved with uh, uh, making movies about it. And she's been on TV many times. There's a lot of people saying that her film is actually the flare drops. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know. I don't want to uh, put it down or anything. But uh, I really don't know. But yeah, that is that is one of the best cases because of mm -hmm. basically the the amount of people involved in this sighting. There are thousands of witnesses, thousands. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I would say like my top two are the Phoenix Lights and the Battle of L.A. Oh yeah, that's an early one. That's that's pre Roswell. Yeah, but, yeah. but I mean, I've seen the picture of it. I've looked at that picture a thousand times. I'm like. I don't think that's a cloud or yeah. a balloon. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that was a crazy one. I want to say that was 1941, Something I believe. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that uh, a great case. And they shot shot like 1,500 shells and, uh, you know, people died that night, one, you know, from a heart attack and, uh, and uh, something else, someone was injured from a, a shell landing or something. Yeah. It was, yeah, they uh, just don't fire that much artillery at a balloon. Right. There were also the Japanese did this crazy thing where they were uh, – of floating on balloons, these insinuaries that were, would, they wanted to land and catch fire with using the wind patterns. And uh, they actually, two of them, actually, two or three of them actually did land and, you know, started fires. Hmm. But that really had nothing to do with this thing because that thing just stayed in one place. So no one knows what that one was. <laughs> no. Um, alien abductions. What do you think of that topic? Well, I try to be open-minded about it. Um, it's it's very it's a very curious topic. Um, you know, I really don't know. All I have to say this: a couple of things I have to say about that. And one of them, if it was happening to me, I don't know how it could possibly function in the world. You know, I mean, it would just be so consuming if it was really happening. If I really thought it was happening. Um, I also look at it this way too, that, you know, whatever is coming here, is it just going to observe from afar or is it actually going to observe closely and look and examine? Um, you know, maybe there is something to it. Um, I, there's some cases that I totally uh, believe. So when I believe those cases like Travis Walton, um, there's also the Allagash incident that was up in Maine, the state where I live. I've talked to those uh, those guys there. They're they're very very credible. The Betty and Barney Hill incident that mm -hmm. was the first one back in '62, I believe. Yes. Um, so those are all like fascinating cases. I think there's something to them. Are there, you know, if you did a head count in this country, is there like a million people that are saying they're being abducted? It's pretty darn high. I'm not sure what it is, but it's a lot. There's a lot of people, and I don't know if this is also some type of pop culture influence. Um, you know, people might get upset hearing me say that, mm -hmm. but, you know, may, there may be more to it than, you know, uh, than an actual, this actually being aliens. I really don't know. Yeah, There is a case in Manhattan that's fascinating that um, um, there is a, uh, some people actually saw this woman floating out through her wall. Yes, I remember hearing about that one. Yeah, that's really bizarre. And it's uh, and it's a person, I forget who the person was, but it's someone very, very credible that actually says they saw this happening. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. Um, it's I do listen to people that talk about it. Um, you know, I don't know what to – I've been on the fence – about it a lot. Uh, well, I think what I'm on the fence about the most is that there's so many people in this country saying they're being abducted and it's not the same in every country. And I, I just don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I think some are legit and probably some are not. Yeah. You know, well, you know, I've talked it, to, uh, 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 Kathy Martin, uh, Kathleen Martin, she's Betty Hill's 
niece Mm -hmm. and she interviews a lot of people and you know she thinks the people that come forward and say that they're abducted and um are hoaxing it is very low she thinks a lot of people are uh they have a lot of uh similarities in their stories Mm -hmm. um she will you know have them fill out a questionnaire and one person will be in say florida and the other person in california and you know they're saying a lot of things that are very, very similar, which is really bizarre. Some of it, though, I think can also be um, sleep paralysis. Yeah, there is there is some of that because, uh, you know, some people that have had sleep paralysis and uh, actually a relative of mine told me a story that he actually thought he saw beings. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I think that is a possibility. But some of these people are saying this is happening in broad daylight. Right. Now, I mentioned earlier it doesn't happen in a lot of other countries. I've friends with and I talk to quite often a gentleman named Klaus Vaughn. He's the head of the Sweden UFO organization. And I asked him about abductions and he said, first of all, I got to ask you, how much time do we have here? As much as we want. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I asked him about the, uh, what's the abduction uh, phenomenon like? in Sweden. And he says, very, very low. He says, he, he, he says, uh, I hardly ever hear about it. And I thought, wow, that's really curious. I wonder why so many here. And then he says, but he goes, but I do, I do have a one, a report that is very, very credible. Mm-hmm. And basically it's a police officer married. Um, he wakes up and sees his wife being like pulled pulled up up off the bed she's like off the bed and these beings and he he wakes up and he's he like when he wakes up they all like everything just goes away you know like instantly but he saw her lifted off the bed and being pulled and she was saying things were happening you know she was getting abducted and he said it was quite a story and he said that um their marriage didn't even stay together they were it was just made such a a big deal in their life. So, so uh, yeah. Yeah. I think one of these theories that I've heard is that one of the reasons there's more abductions in the United States is because the U S government. Oh yes. Allowed the aliens to have some type of underground base here. Yes. And there's that in rumor. Return, they could take, you know, yeah. as many duct, many people as they wanted to or something. Eisenhower, like that. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's another conspiracy theory, if you ask me. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. So I heard um, Alejandro Rojas on your show um, a couple weeks ago, and he mentioned the Wilson documents. Um, like mm-hmm. I was familiar with the Edgar Mitchell, you know, him talking openly about his experience, but I wasn't actually familiar with these documents themselves. And when I looked them up online – Honestly, I mean, I didn't read all of them, but, um, you know, I mean, some of it seemed like it was like a mix mash of some stuff that I've heard before with some new stuff intertwined into it. Yeah. You know, I think that's pretty much what, what you got there. Um, you know, if this is just my opinion and there are some people that are buying into this thing a hundred percent, you know, Richard Dolan's very well respected in the UFO field and, He's pretty much bought this thing hook, line, and sinker, um, and 
goes on to explain it. Um, but um, there are, just like any disinformation or misinformation that has happened in this topic over the years, there's a little bit of truth mixed in with a lot of fantasy. And so, uh, like the MJ-12 documents, um, that's another whole whole story. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of gray areas. There's a lot of things that don't quite make sense, but then there are some things that are very true that actually did happen um, that are bits and pieces of it. And I think that's really what this, this, this Wil- the Wilson documents boil down to. Someone is, uh, someone created this as a leaked, leaked email chain. And uh, I do believe it's, it's, I personally believe it, that it's a hoax. And I may be wrong, you know, I can be proven wrong and I'd be glad to be proven wrong, mm-hmm. but I really do believe that it's, it's a hoax. And, you know, the part of it where um, Edgar Mitchell and Stephen Greer um, speak to this Admiral Wilson about um, if he would look into the UFO topic, that party, uh, Wilson himself agrees actually did happen, but he said, I don't have time. He says, I'm up to my eyeballs and, uh, there was a lot of things going on internationally. And he says, I have no time uh, to look into anything like this. So Wilson himself admits that that did happen, but um, there's supposed to be, um, uh, he's supposed to have sat in a car in Las Vegas and talked with uh, Eric Davis, a scientist for 45 minutes about this and notes were taken and blah, blah, blah. And he says, I haven't been to Las Vegas since 1979. So it didn't happen. Um, he says, I don't know Eric Davis. He said, I'm not saying I never met him, but I don't know him and I've never had a conversation with him. So um, I don't think, you know, some people are saying, oh, that's just Wilson. He's, uh, you know, Admiral Wilson is just trying to deny everything. And, uh, you know, you can't believe anything he says because he's just, you know, doesn't want any, of this cl- any classified, uh, you know, information out there, blah, blah, blah. Um, uh, I tend to believe Wilson myself yeah I, I mean i don't know either i have no idea I just when I, when I went through it i was like oh yeah i've heard some of this i've heard some of that oh, i've never heard that one before you know and yeah yeah so, and i know like one of the favorite ways of them putting out this this, this information is adding some truth to it and you know mixed with the falsehoods that's right, that's right. yeah um do you think presidents are informed about what the UFO phenomena is or may be? Uh, well, I had a, a, a talk with uh, um, the DOD, um, former retired DOD agent, uh, Chris Mellon from the Mellon family, very influential family. Uh, he, and I had a talk with him about that. And he said that um, all a president has to do is say, I want to know about this. And I'm sure you've heard in the news lately that, you know, Trump is talking about, he knows something about Roswell. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is in the last few days. He knows something about Roswell and it's very interesting. Um, he's, you know, uh, I don't know if he's just trying to make people think of other things <laughs> or not, but uh, according to someone that tried to get more information, he was kind of confusing Area 51 with Roswell. I think something like that, but I don't know. You know, maybe he does. Here's the bottom line. Um, Chris Mellon, uh, because he was, he was right up there, uh, the very top 
of uh, clearances and everything. And he knows exactly what a president gets to know and doesn't get to know. And he said, if a president wants to know something, all he has to do is ask and they have to tell him what they know. Now, there's the line right there. They have to tell him what they know. He says, what is normally done with something that they don't want the president to know (laughs) is to make it a black project. Put it in, like, if something is known, if there's some technology known about that cannot get any congressional oversight, they put it in a black uh, project, a private a private entity, not, not military. Um, so uh, it's a contract. Um, and then there's no way that uh, it keeps that information airtight. So um, that's, it can be, what I'm getting at is, if there's something really important that um, that some part of the government is concerned that if the president knows it may get out there because Jimmy, uh, not Jimmy Carter, Jimmy Carter did have a sighting, mm-hmm. but Bill Clinton actually wanted to know, you know, and uh, he couldn't get anywhere. And so it can be stopped. Um, and I'm not saying that's what happens. I'm saying that's what could happen. You know, I, I really don't know. I wonder if it's controlled by different parties. I heard a story about um, Richard Nixon taking Jackie Gleason to see an alien at a hangar. I don't know if that's true or not. It's an interesting story. And that was supposedly happened in Florida uh, during uh, when Nixon was down there. And Nixon actually drives in his car. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's there's a lot of, of it, you know, that seems pretty far out there, you know, not to have any Secret Service protection and all that. Um, so I, I don't know. Uh, it's quite a story. I wish I could know. And, you know, there was supposed to be some type of confirmation from uh, Jackie Gleason's widow, but uh, I don't think it ever, there was no, ever, there was never really any proof of it anywhere. It's, just it's a, a great story though. It is a great story. I could just, the visual of Richard Dixon just stopping by and, hey, come on, let's go check out some aliens. And Jackie Gleason, for the younger listeners that may not have ever heard of him, he was quite a comedian. There was the Jackie Gleason show um, back in the 60s, and he was a really funny guy. But he really took the UFO subject seriously. He was very, very interested in it, really thought there was something to it. Yeah. That's a great story. Mm. Well, um, thank you for coming on my show. Mm. Great having you. You're very welcome. It's been fun. And um, when that news breaks, please send me an email. I'll have you back on. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> and um, I'm just going to close up here. Um, do you have anything that you'd like to promote, your podcast? It's, uh, what is it? Well, it's podcastufo.com. That's the easiest way. It's an easy one to remember. It's a podcast about UFOs, and the website is Podcast UFO. And uh, the shows are every Tuesdays. They're live and they're live streamed simulcast on uh, YouTube and KGRA Radio. Um, and then they go out as a podcast. And anyone can sign up for the podcast on right on the website. Yes, it's a great podcast. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so to my listeners, uh, please like and review my podcast on whatever platform you are using. It helps this podcast move up in the ranks. It's easier for people to find and tell your friends, family, and even the strange uncle, which <laughs> I, I definitely fall in the strange uncle category. <laughs> <laughs> if, 
anybody wants to be a guest, email me at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. Also on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter, Everything Imaginable 2020. Also, everythingimaginable2020.com. Remember, everything that is was first imagined. Thank you for listening, and see you next week.